Well, as I said, we're starting a new series uh, this morning in the book of Joshua. I invite you to turn to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Our first reading will come from there, page 209, chapter 34, with the death of Moses, and then we'll look at the first nine verses of Joshua. We have moved the, uh, at concluding our study in the Heidelberg, we've moved um, the book of Hebrews to the evening, so I encourage um, you for that wonderful uh, section of Hebrews tonight where we're looking at the blessings of new covenant worship. So this is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34, um, page 209. We'll begin at verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes. But you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Now we turn the page to Joshua chapter 1, the first nine verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous 
and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And there ends the reading of God's word. Well, there is no doubt that one of the most confusing aspects to uh, the Christian faith is the warfare that we are called to engage before entering glory. We have not given, I think, enough emphasis in talking about the great battle that we have been enlisted in when we became Christians. Uh, There is a fierce warfare and there is a fierce battle that we are in and that begins the moment that we came to Christ and have been converted and regenerated and converted and justified by faith. Martin Luther was correct when he said that the great challenge for Christians is that for them to think, because Christ has, has accomplished so great a salvation, that now we just get to ride on to, into the kingdom on cushions. And that is not at all what the Bible captures for us. Christ told us that through much tribulation we enter the kingdom of God. And this is where I think the book of Joshua is a great help to us in capturing the struggle to reach the promised land. The whole story, in some sense, is a type of our receiving the promised inheritance. It's helping us to understand this. It's helping us to get a grip on this and to know what we are involved with. And and our promised inheritance, glory, heaven, all that's held out to us is the reward and the gift. And in this way, I think uh, this this book of Joshua, which really you can't, it closes out all the, the first five books. You have to have this book to complete the story here. It's incredibly helpful to us to study for the moment, um, for we are at the end of history. We are at the very same place. If you understand this and, and can look at the whole story as we have tried to do in going through Genesis and Exodus and how, how that story is showing us a program of the Lord's deliverance through Jesus Christ. If you look at this whole story, then you understand we are in the very same place of Israel as receiving the land. You'll remember that um, the book of Hebrews said something really important. Listen, listen to this again in chapter 4. For we who have believed enter that rest. He has on his mind the promised land. The rest that is given to us in Christ. When we come to Christ, we enter, he said. But then he says something fascinating. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Here's the verse. Let us, therefore, Strive to enter that rest. Labor to enter that rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. 
See, he's working with the story. (laughs) He's been doing that. Hebrews has been helping. He's working with the story to show the parallels, to show the type and the anti-types, to show where we are so that we would have a good understanding of where we are in redemptive history and that we would understand the place we are and what it means to strive, therefore, to enter the rest, to enter the promised land. Once we enter that rest, once we've come to Jesus, there is a short time of striving to finally receive the reward. That's the theme of the book of Joshua. That's, that's uh, the story that we're entering. It, it really does foreshadow the struggle of the church to enter the purchased possession. All of this, as one pastor said, and I think he's absolutely right, it's a type of the entrance into heaven at the close of this age. That's why it's so hard right now. Don't you understand? Don't you feel like it's all bearing down on you right now? We're at the close of the age. We're about to enter into glory where the land will be completely wiped clean of everything that's bad and that's sinful and that harms and that's dark. That's the end of Revelation. We are in a fierce warfare before the land is fully enjoyed. And this book helps us to understand that. That's why I thought it'd be good to go to Joshua and then, and then I'm sure the boys and girls want me to do judges and we might get there if this goes well. But in this way, the book is meant to be an encouragement of how God's promises prevail in the struggle and how he will make good on all that he's promised. But it's intended to be helpful as you heard an encouragement from the Lord because there's that little phrase that rings through the book of Joshua, be strong and be courageous. Now our culture and our time doesn't quite understand what that is. We're all thinking and trying to wrestle through what it's like to be a man and what it's like to be a woman. And and I'm going to look at this today and help you to understand what Joshua is talking about when he says be strong and be courageous because Christians are sideways on this. The Lord is with you wheresoever you go, was the end of verse 9. One of those really powerful passages in the Old Testament. So this is, um, this is where the book opens. What we have today is an introduction to the book. I want to look at this introduction under the heading of the divine encouragement that God gives here, the divine consolation, if you're looking for points today, and then the divine commission, and then the divine command that they are to follow. So, so we begin with this look of the divine consolation. It's an important moment here, as I've read to, uh, already the death of Moses to put this together. We enter the scene, and you'll remember the story, only two people of that entire generation, 20 and older, is making it into the promised land. Now, I don't know really what the going number was, but they say it was up to 2 million. It was a severe blow. It was a severe judgment where we learned how serious God takes sin. When you have to kind of put yourselves, I think, in the context here, in the moment here, to understand that this is, this is a real low moment for Israel. Notice how verse 1 begins. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, 
saying, My Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over to the Jordan. The Jordan. That was one of the most discouraging moments for Israel in all the history of Israel. Moses, my servant is dead. I don't know if we appreciate how painful that is. He was 120 years old at death. The text made clear in Deuteronomy, his strength was unabated. His eyes were strong. There was nothing sick about the man. He could have gone on another 40. God's great one, his chosen one to lead up Israel out of Egypt. And think of all that he did to plunder Pharaoh. This man led them through the wilderness for the last 40 years. Think of all the leadership that God had given through this servant. I mean, it's really a remarkable little phrase there at the beginning of Joshua when God says, Moses, my servant. I would imagine, now think of most of the generation has died. You have the young generation looking at this old age patriarch. There aren't many old among them. What an icon. <laughs> what a powerful figure. You know, um, we know how long a, when a seasoned veteran minister has been among us a long time who has served well, and then they're gone or they're taken. It's a really hard moment. I think you get a sense of this, a sense of how, how will we go forward without their presence. The Lord has done such remarkable works through this person. A great man being taken is an overwhelming loss. Some of you experienced that with the patriarchs in your family and your, your, um, your fathers and your grandfathers. What do we do? And you had another problem. Moses doesn't get to go in. He didn't get to go in. Remember, he struck the rock in anger. Didn't howl the name of the Lord. And as a consequence for sin, all that was before this generation was this daunting task of now going forward entering this land with all kinds of rebels and powerful figures. The Nephilim, the mighty men, the, the giants were there in those days. The, the reality of Israel's failure in dealing with the God of heaven and earth, the entire generation that had come out had perished. These were daunting times. With regard to Moses, there's a reason I read his death record. God takes him up on the mountain and God shows him all, as far as he could see, the land that God was giving to Israel from afar. The text is clear. I will let you see this with your eyes, but you're not going over. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed, his vigor unabated, and the people of Israel wept 30 days. There had not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. You see, it's set up. 
There's nobody to replace this guy. There's none like him. All the signs and the wonders the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh and all his servants in the land for all the mighty power and all the deeds of terror that Moses had done in the sight of Israel. He was a rock to them. Great discouragement. God took him in what it seemed in their eyes when he was strong. Who understands the ways of the Lord? Who gets it? I had somebody say, I don't understand the Lord's actions here with regard to Moses. It's a little much, isn't it? For just striking the rock. And you stop and you say, well, maybe I haven't thought a lot about how serious sin is. Maybe I played fast and loose. He doesn't get to enter the land? These are the confusing ways of the Lord we don't understand. Why did God do that? I always say you should read Providence backward <laughs> if you can. And we can. The text says <coughs> God buried him in the land of Moab, opposite of Beth Peor, no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Why would the text have to say that? You know what the book of Jude records? That a big dispute happened with the angels over the body of Moses. When Michael, the archangel, contended with the devil and was disputing about the body of Moses... Why were they fighting over the body of Moses? The devil wanted the body. Why did the devil want Moses' body? Well, what have we always done in the face of death and hardship with great saints? We venerated them. I remember years ago taking Dr. Godfrey's church history class and I couldn't believe when I heard that Rome had preserved a, vi- a little duct of Mary's breast milk for veneration. I was stunned as a student. Her breast milk? How did they even get that? You see what we do? This is the whole history. We venerate figures. Can you imagine if a shrine had been set up outside the land where Moses was buried and everyone knew it? You just have to study the history of the Christian church to see what we've done with people. I mean, they even took the pole that Moses made when he set up and had the serpent, remember? And he said, look to the pole. They even took the pole that Moses made and they took it and they changed the name to Nehushtan and worshipped it. It was time to go forward. Great as Moses was, God's power was never limited to Moses. This was a great problem for Israel. So I say, don't ever venerate a pastor. It might mean and invite an early death. I kind of want to be around a little while, so don't ever do that, okay? 
It was God's way to move them forward to something better. And that's the point that's being made now. Who had been raised up among them? Joshua. The first introduction of great Joshua came in Exodus chapter 17, seemingly out of the blue. Moses said to Joshua, choose us men and go and fight with Amalek. Exodus 17, 9. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. First introduction. And when Israel was making the golden calf with Aaron, it was Joshua who was up on the mountain fasting 40 days. When he came down, was appalled at the idolatry. You know, in Exodus chapter 23, when what God said, speaking of Joshua, Behold, I sent my my angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place that I've prepared for you. In fact, he was so important to Moses that Moses changed his name. And Moses called, this is Numbers 13, Hoshea, the son of Nun, Yeshua. Whoa. You know what that means, right? Now, we don't understand what the Lord does and why he does what he does. But here's a really good answer. Moses did not bring the people into the land. The one whose name means the one by whom Jehovah will save. That's the change in the name. Jehovah is salvation. That's what Joshua means. Joshua. That one would lead them. The one whose name in Greek is the same name as who? Jesus. And I think you see the light shining. A much greater than Moses was among them. Joshua in every way prefigured Jesus. He was as a type. Moses struck the rock. You know, New Testament authors had no problems, and there's obviously a difference between typology and allegory, but they had no problems in saying that rock was Christ. The law coming through Moses, but grace and truth coming through Yeshua, the Messiah. Your eyes need to be on him. Moses couldn't deliver. A much greater than Moses would come, a prophet, like unto his brethren, who would become the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The one leading you to the promised land doesn't die anymore. He's alive. What's Hebrews been telling us? He's the one who has said what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. For the Lord your God is with you wheresoever you go. What a consolation in the face of death, beloved. And this is where the Lord gives great encouragement in the commissioning of Joshua for this task. Notice the commissioning is to Joshua. Now therefore arise, 
Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. <laughs> that is, that's an overwhelming statement at the beginning here. The land is your gift. It's yours. I'm fulfilling my word. The time of the fulfillment of the promises has come. Remember way back in Genesis 12 when God said to Abraham, I want you to stand on this mountain and look. And, and he said, Abraham passed through the land of the place of Shechem to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land and the Lord said, look at it to your offspring. This is yours. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. You know how Joshua ends? And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All has come to pass. Not one word has failed. He gave you the land. Which was all type. We'll come back to that. But that's why it's so important here. Now, why does this matter? What, what, what does this have to do with today? Why, why did I begin the sermon the way that I did? Notice what the Lord will do in this book. I will not drive out all the enemies in one year, one day, lest the land become desolate and wild beasts multiply against you. Seven years of intense struggle were coming. Seven years of intense struggle. The wickedness of the cursed Canaanites, the sons of Ham... God was bringing his righteous judgments. This is criticized today heavily. We'll come back and look at harem warfare. But, but all the obstacles were before them. Their enemies are referenced in this book as too large. Their weapons too advanced. They're too powerful. Numbers 13. We sent spies throughout the land and the men are of great stature. We saw giants and we're just little grasshoppers in their sight. So they refused to go. Intense warfare was now upon them. There was a great struggle to inherit Canaan. I think this is just what Hebrews has been saying to us. That in all the face of discouragements of this life, what was the overarching message Hebrews kept saying? See to it that you do not become weary and discouraged in your souls. Some of you are there. Strive to enter your rest. The war is real. The entire New Testament takes these themes, implies that we're in a warfare, not of flesh and blood. Principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age. There is a great battle you're in. Until you understand this and accept this, you know, 
What do they say? Luxury of conviction is those on the sideline? Shouldn't be. Conviction has to be of those who step onto the field. Every time you feel the weariness of this all, isn't this real? Isn't the warfare real? Isn't death real? Isn't sorrow real? Is, aren't the attacks real? What's going on in your hearts and minds? <laughs> it's real. Depression's real. Suffering's real. Darkness is real. Enemies are coming at you all the time, and they're real. But we've wanted the American good life and have not accepted this. Every time you feel the weariness of this, stop and say, that's the warfare. The sense of giving up, the sense of feeling the absence of God's presence, you have to remember where you are and when you are. And that's why I said this is all a type of the entrance into heaven at the close of this age. But this is where the promise of God guides us. Listen to what he says to Joshua. (laughs) No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And Hebrews takes that and says, that's just what Jesus says to you. Think of the warfare now when you hear this in Hebrews. Now think of all the struggles that Israel fell into of idolatry, sexual morality, the two twin sins. Think think of this in Hebrews. Let marriage be held in high honor among all. Wow, what what a verse for our day. Let marriage be held in high honor among all. And let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. Warfare. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Taken from right here. Warfare. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's Hebrews. That's what's coming in the study. That was spoken to Joshua. And if we are to see in him a representation of Christ, your victory is in him. cleansed the land and overcame evil and conquered sin and death and it's in him that we win the victory and we need to hear that more and more now than ever and that now we're set in the battle and and there's one last thing i'll close with this today it's the divine command so we've had the divine consolation right what what a what a wonderful consolation the divine commissioning of joshua now the divine command briefly notice this I want you to be strong and courageous. How? How do we be strong and courageous in our day? Is it being obnoxious? By being careful to do all, to according to all 
that the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Isn't that just generally true? The great failure of the children of Israel in the wilderness was that they did not live by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. To be a holy and separate people. Meditate on my word, he says. Have I not commanded you? How are you bold and courageous? The bold and courageous before God are those who have the word in their hearts and in their mouths. Those who are bold who know the Word, who live by the Word, who digest the Word, who read the Word, who study the Word, who understand the Word. As Calvin said, he's inciting the people to courage in his Word as a separate people. I think that's the encouragement we need. Passage ends, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. You'll see hard things in the conquest of Canaan. But the Lord your God is with you wheresoever you go. Isn't that the great promise of the covenant of grace? What an encouragement in the face of death and loss. I think some of you are still really grieving that way, and I understand. I still feel it. My own father. But we're forward going. A great leader is taking us home. And his name is Yeshua. His word has not failed us. He is our strength, our refuge, our fortress. The faithless put their trust in the idols of this age. That's what they're going to see walking through Canaan. They are like those who walk up to the door of heaven and refuse to walk in. But those who make the Lord their trust, there is absolutely no good thing he will withhold from them. You know, that's the promise of the Lord. So in all of life's griefs, in all of life's hardships, the Lord is saying, go forward. Receive the gift, jurors. We're almost there. It's a short season of affliction. It's a difficult period, but it's not a long one. The land will soon be cleansed forever. Do you know that's what's promised to you? A new heavens and this earth. Refined, burned with fire, made brand new. And how does the Lord describe it at the end of Revelation that he has to do? Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murders, and the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. But those who inherit the land as a gift are those who by faith are more than conquerors through him who loved us and who has promised right here, I am with you wheresoever you go. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the captain of our salvation. 
the encouragement that we need in these times and the struggles that we are in. The battle was fierce right before the end of their age and the receiving of the land. And that was all a type for Abraham, Moses, Joshua looked for the better land that all of that foreshadowed. The land that we enjoy in Christ and that we have received by faith and now strive to finally receive when we will behold the Lord face to face in glory, in the place that's been prepared for us. So encourage us in the struggle. Give us energy and strength for the fight. Let us not become weary and discouraged in our souls. May we hear the promises embedded in this passage. You are with us. May your word be our light and guide us. And may we remember that you are with us wheresoever we go. And are so thankful that you sent Jesus to redeem our lives, who has won the complete victory. And in him, we are more than conquerors. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.